Hello and welcome to Hammock Stories, a podcast for people seeking inspiration while on their journey to finding identity, meaning, and community. Every week, your hosts, Tu and Chenny, will be asking an everyday hero to join us in our hammock and share their personal story of how they've arrived at themselves. Slow it down. Nothing to do, abandon the cars, map our way with the stars. This week, we're thrilled to be joined by Alex Oosterveen, co-founder and CEO of Caribou, a home care technology startup. From this episode, you'll get to hear a story of adaptivity and resilience, from a childhood traveling around the world to being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. He's an expert on reframing life-changing challenges to life-changing opportunities. He shares how his diagnosis has led him to shed identity roles that were no longer serving him and how it has put him on the path to finding his authentic self. Welcome to Hammock Stories. Thanks for having me. I feel really comfy. (laughs) Oprah, take notes. (laughs) The chair is obsolete. (laughs) Yes. So the visual we have right now is we have Alex here with us today. He's almost meditating in a hammock, in the hammock, and... uh, I got a dog under me somewhere. Yeah, pretty cozy. (laughs) So, Alex, the reason why um, we wanted to invite you to our hammock today and for you to share your story as our everyday hero is you are a person that I would say is incredibly resilient and adaptive to the nth degree. uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, you run a fast-growing startup in the home care space, um, but at the same time, you're also um, battling MS as a young person in your 20s. And um, uh, yet, every time I see you, you have, like, a huge smile on your face, and you're very energized and keen on um, helping make the world a better place. So, um, yeah. That's why you're here. Well, thank you. I wish I saw myself that way, but (laughs) (laughs) that's good. Um, Yeah, I, uh, where do you want me to start? Or? Do you want to start at the very beginning? (laughs) Yes, so 27 years and nine months ago, my pen, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was born in Winnipeg and um, my mom, I was a stay-at-home mom and my dad, I worked for the provincial government, I guess, in immigration. She must have been federal. I, I actually don't know. Um, and uh, we lived there until I was five, had a lot of family on my dad's side. He was um, lived most of his life in Winnipeg. And then um, when I was five, we moved to Ottawa, and this started a chain of moving quite regularly. Um, my dad became a, a diplomat, and so... Um, first stop was Ottawa, and then when I was six, we moved to London, England, and uh, lived there till I was eight. Then we went back to Ottawa, and then for high school, uh, I was in Manila in the Philippines. Um, so you mentioned being kind of adaptive. Um, I'd say that was probably out of necessity because there was a lot of new environments that uh, I had to get comfortable with fairly quickly, um, and. So I'd say it probably created that adaptive trait, but, um, you know, it also means you, uh, in some ways you have to 
just get used to, you know, if you recognize, hey, I want to have friends, so I'm going to have to, you know, try to do that quickly. But at the same time, you have to, it's hard to like get too attached to something because you know you're going to leave at some point. So I'd say that was sort of the, the, uh, the maybe the negative that resulted. Um, so anyway, after the Philippines moved to uh, Kingston, Ontario to go to Queens uh, for university and then uh, studied business there and since then have been in Toronto uh, ever since. And I feel really grateful now because it's the first time I really get to establish roots somewhere. And while I don't have a lot of family here, there's been a lot of friends and I've met cool people like yourselves. And uh, and I'm really trying to get used to that idea that, hey, we, we don't have to leave now. Uh, let's try to really establish some good, deep relationships that are enriching and, you know, establish sort of a career path that has similar uh, effects on me and others. And, uh, and I met Rebecca, my, my now fiance, who, uh, you know, I love very much. So I, I'd say I, as though I'm a, I have that adaptiveness, I'm very happy to, um, you know, be in one place now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And do yeah, And then a couple of years ago, I got, um, MS, so we can talk about that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get into more recent years, yeah. um, I guess I'm a little curious about when you were a kid, like how, like how old were you when you guys were moving around? Yeah. Like, like was it since you were born? <laughs> yeah, it started when I was five. Okay. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, we really went all the way through to university. Um, wow. But, you know, it wasn't a ton. It was uh, Winnipeg, Ottawa, London, England, Philippines. So... Still a lot. Uh, still a decent amount, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, at least I got like you know three four years um, in each spot, um, and. Uh, so I'm curious. Yeah. Um, with the theme of resilience. Yeah. Um, did you identify yourself as a like a resilient person as a as a child? Maybe. Um. I guess it was never something I really thought about, but um, I feel like just, you know, if you're a little guy or girl, whatever, and, uh, you know, you get kind of plucked out of one environment and placed into another, you, I'd say, I don't know whether the resilience was innate or learned, but you kind of have to adjust and just suck it up. Right. Because um, I guess I knew that um, I didn't have much control over the environment I was put in, but I I was in control of how I reacted to it. And so I just would focus on that. And uh, and I guess that that kind of strategy worked well for me, because honestly, the moving around while it was sad to leave friends, it actually was something that I got excited about. You know, it's like, oh, this is going to be a new adventure, have new kind of, you know, relationships to find and paths to carve out. So, um, yeah, I don't know if resilience was ever top of mind, but I should also say that my family, like I did have a, a stable base too, like, I was always with my mom and dad. I was always with my little sister. You know, my little sister became like my best friend because we were always constant Mm -hmm. through that period. So 
I think that really mitigated a lot of the need to have that resilience. It's not like I was alone, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd say my parents did a, a good job um, of maintaining some form of stability throughout all the moving. Um, but it was hard on them too, you know, and everyone's kind of responds mm-hmm. in their own way. Yeah. I, I, I love that as a child, basically, you learned about impermanence. Like, even as adults, a lot of us still struggle <laughs> with it today. Yeah. So what a, what a blessing in disguise in a way, too. Totally. But I think uh, on the flip side, as I, as I alluded to, it also, I think, made it harder for me to, like, open up and get deep in relationships mm. um, or at least be good at nurturing and investing in the long term Mm kind of knowing that everything had kind of a three-year expiry date um and i don't know if it became a defense mechanism but i wouldn't be reliant on someone else ever you know so Mm -hmm. uh, i was always very self-sufficient at least emotionally in that so um that's something that i'm actively trying to improve as well you know there's uh always funny consequences from you know any event in your life right yeah of course when did you realize that that this the the shift from like okay everything is impermanent like (laughs) whatever there's no tomorrow or actually just three or four years um yeah when did you finally kind of be like okay this served me in my younger Mm -hmm. child's younger side but not anymore that's a good question i would say it was probably a few months after uh, getting that whole health stuff with the MS. Um, so not so long ago. Um, there was a, a few months where I spent mostly alone and just kind of retreated back into my cocoon and, and tried to, you know, just really reevaluate my own situation because um, growing up, I was always you know, very energetic and and really went 100% at everything. And uh, that kind of go, go, go mentality really, uh, in some ways, I think, contributed to getting the MS because, mm-hmm. um, like, your central nervous system is burning on too high a, a level for too, like, long a stretch and uh i think your immune system kind of triggers some things like okay let's let's combat this because this is not good um and so i think it was through that process where i started to really reflect on um what's important to me and then i i realized like people were so important um and then when i really thought about it i thought man there's a lot of people that i really love but i i kind of let the relationship uh, like kind of, I don't know what the word is, just kind of peter out a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything takes mutual effort, right? Any good friendship or relationship. And uh, and so I think that was kind of what sparked that process because um, having people like that you really care about in your life is, is critical to being healthy and, you know, having that like healthy spirit and even the word spirit was something that would probably have made me cringe like three years ago. Um, but you really realize that uh, it, that's just kind of a, a word that people put on having like that internal peace and 
and that calm and and uh, that really comes from being surrounded by people that you can just feel like yourself and you love them and they love you and uh, so yeah so that's just what really triggered the the pursuit of really finding that again and so it's been a an active effort since then mm. so yeah the health stuff like it while it was tough it, it did have a lot of kind of other positive effects of giving me sort of a really sharp realization of some things I had to reprioritize in my life. This sounds so gentle. Like, <laughs> it, it is sharp. And yeah. I mean, my own struggles with health, I yeah. understand yeah. the diagnosis. Like, what was that experience for you? And how, yeah. how did you go from that to to the lessons from it, appreciating MS as a, you know, like a the tenth step to, to the <laughs> first one. So I'm yeah. just a little curious. Um, well, it was it was hard at first um, because, like for instance, the doctor said I had to take six months off work and, and basically do nothing. But that came at a quite a critical time in the business when we were just getting started, and uh, I had always. Like, it sounds twisted if I look back at it now, but I'd always prided myself on being willing to sacrifice anything, you know, for the sake of maybe getting something done or doing something better than, you know, someone else or something like that, you know. Um, but that exact mentality that had given me, you know, some semblance of an edge before would now just make my brain deteriorate quite quickly, right? Mm. <laughs> so um, I think it created this huge identity crisis. Mm, you know, yeah. I had to basically, to survive, I'll exaggerate, but to, you know, keep my, my own cognitive ability, I had to shed a big part of who I was and, uh, and figure out kind of a more balanced way that I could still achieve the stuff I wanted to. Um, so I think I needed that kind of period of just being isolated and not interacting with many people, not consuming much media, um, just keeping a very simple life to really forget a lot of things, you know, and just get back to the, the core where, you know, you get some fresh air, go for a walk, talk to your family you know, just very simple. Um, you start reading and, you know, um, but mostly it was a lot of just self-reflection. And then I'm not, I'm trying to remember where exactly the transition point was or whether it was gradual. But, um, oh, you know what I started doing? I started going to meditation classes because I had read some data that showed um, having like a, a solid like mindfulness practice really uh, it was showing to be just as effective as the leading medicines in for like battling MS. Um, so data is always comforting, right? Because when you read a lot mm -hmm. of the MS data, it's scary. It's like, I think something like half of people need a walking device within 10 years. And those kind of stats are nerve wracking, especially when you're a bit of a perfectionist like me, who uh, where that perfectionism really translated to work, physical and... Mm -hmm relationships and so it's like oh gosh you know um so once i got into that and really had a stable practice i noticed 
everything getting a lot better. And then I think that's what inspired me to, to understand that, wow, a lot is in your control. And these are all just statistics, but you can control to some degree or maybe to a big degree where you fall in those statistics, right? And then so I think that same kind of drive that pushed me in my younger years, I was able to apply to, um, you know, battling this MS stuff. And so since then, I've changed a lot of the environmental uh, parts of my life, like the food, the meditation, how I respond to stress and and all that. And it's, it's a constant effort, but I'm feeling uh, really good these days. And I'd say uh, I feel more myself too, because I think part of what was that big baseline underlying stress was uh, not pursuing a life that was really aligned with my core identity and more pursuing something that maybe I had fabricated that was important. Um, mm-hmm. But it's hard to really put your finger on when something doesn't quite feel right. And I think that's really what it was. Um, and I think like I went to work in investment banking before working on this business. And I think that's a great example of something that I did that just, oh, that sounds like something people <laughs> do if they want to quote unquote <laughs> succeed or something. But uh, it really wasn't aligned with what I should have been doing. And it's probably a big reason, uh, the reason I, big part of the reason I got this like MS wake up call. And uh, so I'm glad it really steered me off that kind of course. So who, who are you? <laughs> who am I? That's a good question. Um, or how would you describe yourself before and how would you describe yourself now? Yeah, I'd say, um, I'd say I've always um, wanted to do the right thing for others, but maybe not necessarily for myself. Um, and... Um, I'd say before I, I had, I've always been kind of competitive to some degree, or I think everyone's competitive, but um, I think at a young age, I had developed a bit of an insecurity about um, this idea of, of success and really tying financial gain to that. Um, my folks, I love them so much. and but they were more the hippie type and I love that now. But I think uh, when, when we moved to London, when I was five, um, I went to um, a kind of posh private school and that's where Canada, you know, you get to go to private school when you go abroad. So that was awesome. But all of the other kids in my class were like the sons and daughters of investment bankers and Goldman Mm. Sachs, JP Morgan, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one kid, I remember going to his house and he had a helicopter on the roof and I thought, <laughs> oh, that's really cool. <laughs> I want a helicopter now. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, for their birthday parties, we'd go to Legoland and for mine, you know, my dad would play with us in our apartment. <laughs> and, uh, while I was probably so lucky cause I actually got to hang out with my dad, <laughs> you know, the, mm. um, I, I don't think I saw it that way at the time. Mm. And so I think that planted a seed that really um, stayed with me for a long time. And so if you want to ask who I was before, I'd say it was someone who would 
pursue that type of financial gain path at all costs, even if I had to snuff some other flames inside me to be okay with that. Um, and so I think who I am now is still has that same passion and drive to pursue these things with, you know, all my heart and brain and energy and whatever else you put behind, you know, trying to get somewhere. But I'd say it's, it's more holistic and aligned with things that are important to me, like trying to be a good partner, um, trying to be a good friend, trying to pursue a business that helps people, um, you know, makes everyone's lives better. Um, and that I'd say just I'm, I'm still fine-tuning and figuring out what exactly that is, but I just know every day it feels a lot more natural. And uh, so, yeah, I feel a lot more at peace these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that is the trying to be friends with yourself. Like, yeah. sounds like something yeah, that I, was added. Yeah, and I'd say that's something that uh, probably still needs the most work. Um, but even in the last month, I would say, um, like one example is sleep. I never used to place any importance on that. Um, but uh, we've invested more in our you know routine and, and kind of sleep hygiene to just get better at that. And... Uh, that's one thing where I'm like, yeah, just just do it. It's good for you. You know, why are you not sleeping? <laughs> and you reap the benefits. Like, yeah, and everyone else it. does. You know, because then you're <laughs> you're less you're better, easier to be around when you're rested. You know. So yeah. <clears throat> if you were to give advice to your younger self, yeah, like the the self that was, you know, with the friend with the dad with a helicopter on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what advice would you have given yourself then? Um, that's a good question. I guess um, the main thing would be, I, I would really try to pump that kid up because I think um, if I look back now, I'm actually very proud of, of who I was, but I just remember always feeling a little bit inadequate or, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I think, I, yeah, I would really try to pump them up. And, uh, and I would just kind of say, like, look, man, you, you got it all. Just make sure you take care of yourself and, uh, you know, keep treating people well. And just trust that good things are going to happen. And yeah, don't put all this importance on, on, uh, make sure whatever game you're playing is the right game. Like, and, and when you figure out what that right game is, put all, put everything behind it. But I think I was putting a lot into things that really weren't important to me. And so I'd say just, take the time to figure out what those things are and then go hard. Don't just kind of blindly pursue what everyone else is and think you got to be the best at that. Cause, uh, I'd say that's probably what, uh, led to me wasting a lot of my energy on, on things that didn't really enrich, enrich myself or others. Mm -hmm. And, um, and probably, you know, the, 
They say the candle that burns twice as bright burns half as long. Well, I probably had way too many candles getting burned <laughs> from all areas that just really weren't doing anybody any good. So, that's, yeah, that would be. How, so you mentioned that right after you got MS, there was a you you found meditation, mm -hmm. and I think I remember you went to Vipassana as a. 10-day retreat sometime, right? I did not, oh, no, okay. but I would be keen to do that if you have any suggestions. Cool. I went to like a three-day-a-week class. That was what all I did, and then tried to do a personal practice, but yeah. Uh, was there a teacher? Or, um, yeah, there was. Someone that kind of guided you to through that shift? Yeah, it was a group class, but um, there was one gentleman who... Um, I felt like every class I left with another little nugget that really um, stuck with me and I'd think about it for the next few days. And, um, and it could be something so small or like even just like something to visualize or some kind of metaphor because I feel like there was a lot of layers he had to chip away at in me to make me understand the importance of kind of being able to calm your mind down and create that space. And uh, I had been hardwired the opposite way for many years. Um, but yeah, I thought having that group setting and, and this gentleman in particular um, just gradually helped me. Was, you know. was there a particular question or a seed that kind of cracked the, I guess, the first layer of the onion? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. Uh, Gosh, I'm trying. I'm struggling to remember specifics. It was a couple years ago now, but um, there was something. We would always be in these different like poses that were very relaxing, and uh, I'm someone who's always had a hard time falling asleep and a hard time getting comfortable. And he had this this kind of analogy where just just soften yourself around whatever it is. Right, and, and uh, in this position we're in, just, you know, make yourself malleable and don't worry about changing what you're lying on. And that really resonated with me because I think I instantly was able to listen and respond and actually feel different. And so to get that instant feedback, and then I, I took it, that with me when I was lying at home that night, I was like, oh yeah, let's just relax. Let's not move my pillow, let's not, Mm. do all this and then and then I find it even translates to everything else in life right and if you want to talk back to what I was saying about being a kid and plump plopping into these new environments it's like that's really what I what I think helped a lot was being able to adapt so there was at some point in my life where I got quite rigid on on what the path is what what ideal is um, but he helped remind me of what my five-year-old self was able to do and just adapt and adjust, mm -hmm. right? it's part of your nature. Exactly, right? So I think he helped me find myself again by just, uh, yeah, going back to the absolute basics. I think we should just trust kids. We should all learn from kids. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because watching you get in this hammock and where you are right now, <laughs> yeah. you're, you look comfortable. Yeah, I feel comfy. Yeah. I was going to say, you're very, you look very comfortable. Thank you. I, I wouldn't feel, have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd say you guys met me uh, at kind of near the beginning of this whole transition. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that we've uh, 
you know, stayed friends and all that because uh, I feel like you're very different from a lot of my other friends and that. And um, I, love, I love everybody, but it's been really refreshing hanging out with y'all. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Likewise. So, so you talked about, about a little bit earlier about how kind of like um, ensuring that you're still being authentic to yourself is like mm-hmm. ongoing practice. Yeah. So for now going and now and looking into the future, um, like what are some things that you're doing to kind of practice that? Yeah. Um, I'd say it's um, just through every action or something that comes through any of the senses, like really try to listen and understand like how did that feel and and Mm kind of create that feedback loop Um, because if you want to go back to resilience I think that can also mean just taking everything and not ignoring it and just eating Mm -hmm. it you know but I'm trying to if I listen to music really think how did that feel did I like that and let's save that song or um, and just kind of apply that to anything and even people and and all that so I'd say it's kind of, uh, and then and then when something sticks or feels good, really double down, right, mm-hmm. and, and go create that curiosity and go further. Um, so I'd say that's kind of the practice that is helping me really realize who I am. Because when I was adaptive as a kid, and and, and that I'd probably think, oh, what what do these kids like? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's try to like that. Right. But I don't think that's the approach that leads to kind of long-term fulfillment. You should more take the reverse of that, which I just described, and then see Mm -hmm. what people stick and are attracted to you and vice versa, and just be happy with whatever results. Can can you give an example of like something recently Mm -hmm. where you're like, oh, this doesn't feel great, and, Mm. and kind of what happened after? Yeah, um, I just want to think of what I'm comfortable sharing, yeah, recognizing sure. that this will get published. Um, I mean, feel free to generalize, right? It doesn't yeah. have to be music. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's yeah. a good question. Yeah. Um, or like, or it could, yeah, it doesn't have to be anything yeah, serious, yeah. but okay. I'm just curious, like your your thought process, like how you how you dealt with, like what 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 happened after yeah, yeah. you recognize that. Well, a, a real a real small example, but um, here's one was. There was uh, a big concert last week, got free tickets to, and uh, I really loved the two guys that were going, and uh, so I went, and so I loved hanging out with them, and, and that was great, but the, it was, there was like so loud, so many people, all these bright lights, and, mm-hmm. and that, and I was like, oh, this isn't the environment I like. So the learning was, I love these guys, but next time, let's not go to this crazy concert you know, let's just hang out somewhere <laughs> a little calmer. Yeah. Um, so I think that's just an example. So I think next time we all hang out, I'll be like, hey, why don't we go to this, you know, speakeasy or something, not this ravey type thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really important. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's so small. It's small, but it's, yeah. That, that's process. just one example, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that you kind of turned in and said, okay, well, what is the kernel? What is the thing that I want to keep out of this? Yeah. And what part do I want to change? And kind of ideating on like, well, what are, what are some alternatives? Yeah. Like you're a designer, right? And you're solving 
problems um, mm -hmm. through design and you can kind of design your life, right? And think <laughs> what's, what's this problem and how am I going to fix it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, in the beginning you were talking about impermanence mm -hmm. and, and kind of it sounds like what you're, you're figuring out now is the, like the balance between what's impermanent and what is permanent. Yeah. And your values and, yeah. and you. Um, yeah. yeah. Totally. And trying not to overcorrect. Yeah. Right. And uh, just be comfortable driving in the middle of the road more and making smaller adjustments and, and staying more consistent because I think I've also learned patience through all of this. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'd say before, if I wanted, if I decided something, I would try to get it tomorrow. Mm. Um, but that's also not sustainable, and I'd rather not overcorrect through life and just find kind of a more balanced pursuit um, that I can enjoy along the way. Because the other, the former is too stressful. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. yeah. Love it. So we're almost out of time. Yeah. I'm. I'm curious, what would be your advice to other people with MS or having recently discovered mm -hmm. MS? Yeah, good question. I'd say, um, I don't want to overgeneralize, but I find of a lot of the people I've met with MS, we do share kind of that, maybe at points like that lack of internal peace, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. and I'd say really try to get on the journey of finding that because it's really something you have to find for yourself. And whether it was that meditation teacher that dropped some nuggets for me that really inspired a, a whole path of self-learning, you know, who knows how you'll find it. Maybe it's through a sport or a new relationship or something like that. Well, that's a wrap for episode four of Hammock Stories. Thank you so much, Alex, for coming on and sharing your truth about how you grew up, your adaptability, resiliency, and your focus inwards now on putting yourself first and slowing down. MS sounds exactly like the gift you needed. And um, I'm just so glad that you're finding your way one day at a time and you get to share it with us on a hammock. And to our, all of our, our listeners, thank you so much. Um, we've got a, another couple episodes coming out and uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. So feel free to get in touch um, at Hammock Heroes on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course on hammockstories.com. So please get in touch and see you next time on a hammock. Sleeping is nothing to do.